This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. For those of you who don't know me, I know there's a lot of new people here. Um, You often see me up here doing tithe. Uh, So it's great to to be able to talk for a little bit longer, get to share some of the things on my mind. And um, I actually want to stick with some of the themes uh, today that that we've been talking about in uh, in tithe because uh, three minutes isn't a long time to to get everything out that I that I want to share. Share so I'm um, gonna have some time to expand on it a little bit more. Uh, so at a meta level, we're gonna be talking about finances. If you didn't pick up on that, a um, little bit of a finer point. I want to talk about partnering with the kingdom. Uh, we live in a in a very interesting time. Um, Rafa mentioned it. There's a lot of ups and downs going on right now. And I think that it's very easy for us to just shift the position of our hearts and start focusing on the wrong things, especially because when there's stuff coming at you from all different directions. Um, I work in the business world, and uh, in business we say we need to have a hard reset. And so when I talk to my teams and I say, hey, we need to have a hard reset right now, it means uh, we need to take a moment we need to step back. We need to look at the situation. And then let's reapproach it from a different angle with a new mindset. So are you guys up for having like a little bit of a hard reset on, on finances? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, so last week, uh, Nate teed me up so well. He, he um, used this phrase, this little play on words. He said, um, he's talking about being beholden to something, but he says you have to watch what you beholding, right? And uh, I think that's so key. Uh, sometimes we take finances or these things that give us this false sense of security, this false sense of safety, and we hold on to it so tight that we actually miss what the Lord is doing, right? We, we can't hold on to those things and be holding on to the Lord at the exact same time. Um, on top of, you know, the crazy things that are going on, we've got this culture that's constantly selling us this lie that you can get all of these things like joy, peace, comfort by buying things. Um, I'm full millennial in my media consumption habits, and we stream things, so I never get commercials. Uh, but last week, we decided to watch a whopping 45 minutes of the Super Bowl um, with my kids until they went to bed. And uh, part of that, I was really keeping an eye on the commercials because that's kind of the X factor when you're sitting there with small kids. I've got a three-year-old, and so you see like a scary movie, and you know it's going to keep them up, and you just don't want that in your kid's life. So I was uh, paying really close attention, and as someone who's a marketer by trait, watching all these commercials, I started to pick up on these little things that are unspoken in the commercials. Um, It's funny. All the commercials that I saw were selling a product, but they were actually selling a feeling as well, right? Um, A good example of this is car commercials. Uh, If you need love, right, they'll take someone who looks really good, like Matthew McConaughey, they'll put him in a car, and they'll drive him down a road, and as he passes a restaurant, all the women look out, and they're like, oh, look at that, Nissan. You can be like Matthew McConaughey if you drive this Nissan. <clears throat> I actually think Nissan did do a commercial that ties into this really well. Uh, there was a young lady driving the car, and if you need joy, this Nissan is electric, but it's thrilling 
So you can have joy and a thrill if you buy this Nissan. And then you look at the other commercials and they're like, oh, we're going to sell you peace. If you buy this luxury vehicle, it's so quiet. It's like your little sanctuary. You can get in it, all your frustrations, everything leaves, and you can just drive through the Swiss Alps, right? Because that is what 66 turns into if you're in a Mercedes. The problem is that the moment you drive up with your new car to a stoplight where all these women look out and see you, there's someone on the other side of the road in a BMW and you're in the Nissan. And so, therefore, it's irrelevant. And the moment that you are finding joy in your car, someone dings it or the car breaks down and all of a sudden, there's no more joy in it. I'm a parent, so let's talk about peace in your car. The moment you're feeling peaceful, a half-eaten chicken nugget goes down the back of your shirt <laughs> because there's a war of french fries happening in your beautiful new car. <laughs> my, my point is that all of these things don't actually give you what you're buying. In Matthew 6, Matthew 6, I've talked about this in a tithe, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, and all of these things will be added unto you. He doesn't say, seek first new things. He doesn't say, seek first doing the right things. He doesn't even say, seek first making sure you tithe on time every single week. He says, seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. It's about what you're going after. You see, when we start to obsess over these things, oh, I need a new car. We start to chase it. I need a raise so that I can afford that new car. And then when we obtain it, sometimes our identity gets wrapped up into it, right? I finally got the new car. Now I'm Jesse, the guy with the electric Nissan. That's exhilarating. It's peaceful. And people like to look at me in it. <laughs> I don't drive a Nissan, and if you do, I love you guys. <laughs> uh, so last week... Uh, I'm telling you, Nate, Nate cued me up so well for this. We stopped and we talked about a young man, the rich young ruler. And uh, I want to take us back to that chapter in Mark 10. <clears throat> um, if you put it up there, Donna. I'm going to start reading. But uh, before we start reading, sometimes, um, well, actually, in almost every modern Bible, there's these little things that like tell you how to view the verses to come. Halfway through this story, um, the subject line changes, or the context of it tries to change. Ignore that thing, right? Because it goes. Th this goes all the way until thirty-one. Um, so read right through that change where it switches over to "With God, all things are possible." Just keep with the same context. This is the same story. We're going to read it all the way through. Verse seventeen. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him said, one thing you lack, go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. Are you still with me? Yeah. All right, we got a few more verses. Don't, don't, don't fall asleep. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter, it's always Peter that pipes up, began to say to him, We have left all and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last and last first. Okay, one second, I'm going to take a drink of water. That was a lot. So I want to go through it again, but I want to uh, make a few suggestions while I read this. The first suggestion is that I don't think this is about money or wealth. I think this is actually about identity. So can we read that through that lens? And I don't think it's necessarily identity about money. I think that you could change this from the rich young ruler to the young political activist, right? You could change this to the young sports enthusiast, right? It's something that he had set in his heart that he had wrapped his identity around. And here's why I think that. So when you start reading in verse 17, he's called the rich young ruler. Most of the time in the Bible, in fact, almost every time in the Bible, when you meet someone of notable reputation, it's, hey, this is Jeff, son of Joe, who hails from Manassas, right? You give them a lineage and that's the identity that they have. This guy, he just got rich young ruler. So maybe his identity was the rich young ruler, right? So let's stick with this, okay? He comes to Jesus. I love Jesus' interactions with people because he already knows, right? He comes to him, he says, what do I have to do to attain eternal life? And then Jesus kind of pushes back on him a little bit. He goes, oh, well, you have to keep the commandments. And this young ruler says, I already have. And I think right then, that's why they put in there, and Jesus loved him. Because Jesus realized, well, he didn't have to realize, he already knew. But this young guy, back in the day, he's done everything right. He's kept all the commandments. And back then, that was the goal, keep the commandments. But he was still coming to Jesus saying, what do I have to do to attain eternal life? Right? So Jesus sees this person, he's done everything right, but he knows there's more. And Jesus loved him for that. And then I think it's interesting. Jesus kind of challenges him again. He says, well, can you take all that you have, sell it, give to the poor, and follow me? And at that moment, the rich young ruler hangs his head and he walks off. It's interesting because we all know it's not hard to sell things. If you have something that's valuable, you want to get rid of it, just price it below market value. It's going to be gone soon, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, 
sell it for what it's worth, and give a whole bunch of money away. He just says, hey, get rid of it. Give, give the money to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus continues on, and he says to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom? I like the disciples because they give you a lot of insight into what's actually happening. So the disciples kind of freaked out, right, and they're amazed, like bickering amongst each other. What does he mean? What does he mean? He says it again, right? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And this is really revealing. The disciples say, well, then who can get into heaven? This really kind of messes with our preconception of Jesus and his disciples. Because they wouldn't have asked who can get into the kingdom of heaven if they were poor. They wouldn't have freaked out. They wouldn't have said, oh, no, we can't get into the kingdom of heaven. Who can be saved? They would have been done exactly what Peter said, right? And say, oh, we sold it all. We're good to go. Wow. It wouldn't have been a debate at all. So Jesus, he talks to the disciples, and I wish I could see this on camera. He's like, listen, I'll tell you that no one who leaves all of these things, right, will not receive a hundredfold. And they're probably like, yeah, that's awesome. And then he like slips in and persecutions. They're probably like, what? <laughs> And eternal life. They're like, yeah. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> it, it, it's all about where your heart is, right? Yeah. We go back to it, right? Seeking first the kingdom. Yeah. I bet you this young man could have done some amazing things for the kingdom of heaven, mm. right? Could you imagine he's already a ruler, Right? So you think about the parable of talents, right? They were faithful with one, God gave him cities. This guy's already got cities. So what happens when God gives him that? I wish we knew more. I wish we had more to this story. Because I guarantee you that there's something that's amazing there that could have happened. And I wish I knew what it was. But oftentimes, just like this young ruler, our identities are dictated by what we prioritize. So he was prioritizing building wealth and therefore his identity was wrapped up in that as well. Money in the kingdom are really, really interesting because the kingdom doesn't need money, right? When you get to heaven, there will be no dollars, right? Your wallet's not going to go with you. Your car, your Nissan that you're driving, the nice electric vehicle, it's not going to make it to heaven with you right? There's no value of it. The kingdom doesn't, doesn't look at people and say, oh, I need to give him money or I need the money that he has, right? So let me ask you this. You guys can shout out where, this is a trick question, so don't feel bad if you get it wrong. Where does money come from? Where does money come from? All right, let me ask you another question that'll clarify this. How many of you get a paycheck signed from God? I'm going <laughs> to make a suggestion that money doesn't come from God. And oftentimes we think that money does come from God. Money comes from man. 
God gives us favor with men. Right? If you're in a situation and you need money, you need favor. Right? You need favor with your boss for that bonus. If you're a business owner, you need favor with the people that are walking in. You need favor to land that contract, whatever it is, to close the deal. All of these things come from relationship with man. Right? Now, God uses this favor to bless us, and he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have that nice electric Nissan that we've been watching that's so exhilarating to drive. But if you need money, you need to pray for favor, wow. right? You guys agree? Are, we, are you tracking with me? As a Christian, we have this amazing competitive advantage in the market, right? The Lord gives us favor with man, right? But let's go back to the Super Bowl. How many of you were impressed by the creativity of the Super Bowl commercials? Anyone? Anyone really just wowed their socks off? No? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) It wasn't that good. In fact, I feel like they're getting worse. The best part of the Super Bowl was Chris Stapleton by far, and I'll debate anyone about it. (laughs) The further the world gets away from God, the source of creativity, the less creative they are. Let's talk about wisdom and strategy. The further away the world gets from the source of wisdom, the source of strategy, the more it just becomes whatever you have, whatever you learned in your MBA, do that, and everything becomes completely generic. Let's talk about managing people and leadership. The further away you get from the one who sees and made everyone, the harder it becomes for you to see the people you manage through God's eyes. They become numbers on a spreadsheet. Can I go on a little tangent? All right. Favor in the marketplace is this really, really interesting thing. Um, You love it and you hate it when you have it. I... uh, In October, I started this new job. And the last two months have been the, by far, the hardest time in my career ever that I've ever had. Um, There's someone on the executive team that found out I'm a devoted Christian and he is not happy about it and he's not wanting me to be on the team. I know because he came after me about it one time at a dinner, right? We're all sitting around, tries to bring up the faith. The Lord says, no, this isn't happening right now. Guarantee you the moment that I have results, it'll come back up. But your results speak for themselves and no one cares. But until then, it's a huge amount of exposure and the Lord protected me from it. You see, when the Lord opens a door for us in the marketplace, no man can close it. So this person comes after you and It falls short, and a few weeks later, they come after you again. But instead of coming after you, they decide to go after your team. As someone who manages people, that's the biggest way of measuring your results, is what's your team doing? Is your team delivering? I get on a call to uh, go over some 
documents on our go-to-market with, with uh, my CEO, and he does a sidebar. He's like, hey, I heard these things are going on with your team. None of them are going on with my team. You hear it out, say you're going to dig into it. No, it's not the truth. You have this moment where you can either fight or you can strengthen yourself in the Lord. I'm not saying roll over. That's not what I'm saying. Right? Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. But you see the games that are being played and you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, you have me. You put me here. A few hours later, your CMO reaches out to you and says, hey, on our executive call today, your team got brought up. It was out of the blue. Everybody's very, very excited with the results that we're seeing in such a short amount of time. And the attack falls short. On Friday, such a lovely guy, came after me again. (laughs) But here's the thing. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spirit. So instead of getting angry, instead of looking at it and, hey, your vendetta has exposed you. I've played this game at a higher level and I could tear you to shreds. I'm going to view him as a child of the Lord. Come on. And that speaks way louder than anything else. But here's my point. Partnering with the kingdom forces us to stay in the game. One of my mentors uh, in the business world, he's this amazing, amazing man of God. And he takes young professionals that are in the kingdom and he supports them and he helps to place them through the tech world. And uh, I was one of them early on in my days. And uh, that's how he got me started in tech. And when I was there, he had about 50 individuals that he was mentoring. Five years later, there was maybe 10 of us. And now there's, I think, three of us that are still playing. And the Lord has... Blessed each one of us. I mean, the career projections that we've had are from God. I mean, it's amazing. It's really a testimony of the Lord and what he wants to do. But you can't get out of the game when things get hard. This is really, really key to partnering with the kingdom. And I I really want to make this point. The Lord, when he opens a door... It's so easy for us to face adversity and say the door is closing. We take ourselves out of the game, right? There's this moment, hey, God wants you to influence something, right? Wants you to influence business, wants you to influence the lives of these employees. You get in the game, things get hard, someone's coming after me. Oh, Lord doesn't want me to be in this. But that's not the case, right? Right? You're right where you need to be. Yes. Come on. So good, Jess. Wow. So let's go back to uh, money in the kingdom. What's what's the point of it, right? Money is our ability right now. Finance. It's our ability to have dominion and subdue. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about Genesis, right? One twenty-eight. The Lord gives us this commandment, right? Have dominion over the earth. Subdue it. 
It's my little cousin. My, my nephew. Subdue it. Come on. If we don't have the ability to influence, right, whether it's the place, like let's, let's think about the, the young ruler, right? He had something to bring to the Lord, right? Now he, he was holding it wrong, right? He was holding it in the place of God. When we have this opportunity to have influence, when we have this opportunity to have wealth and use it to impact the kingdom, that's the way that we do that original commandment, right? <clears throat> Have dominion over the earth. Subdue it. I'm a, we talked, we, we had Lynn Hiles here, right? So everyone talked about eschatology. There's kind of broadly two, um, I guess, ways you can divide from a very high level eschatology. You've got progressives and they believe that the moment that God says something, it echoes through time forever. And then you have uh, dispensationalists. And dispensationalists believe that every time God intervenes, it's a new era, Right? I believe that the moment that God said to Adam and Eve, have dominion, that's kept going, right? This is our goal. And I actually believe the world's getting a lot better, right? The news will tell you different. But if you really go look at the numbers, right? When the Lord said, have dominion, it's actually working. The things that we're doing, it's actually working. The the world is coming under submission to the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes, uh, I want to hit on tithing really quickly. Um, Sometimes I think we view tithing only through the lens of Luke 6.38 or through Malachi 3.10. All of that's great, but it's very very us-centered, right? And we interpret it very us-centered. Sometimes I think tithing, in reality, it's, it's more like the young boy with the, with the bread and the fish, yeah. right? He brought it to Jesus. He brings these things. Hey, I don't have enough, but I'm going to bring it to the house. And you see the impact that this had. That little boy wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to get some food out of this. In fact, he's giving away his lunch, right? He's probably thinking, man, Peter's pretty big and outspoken. He's going to have my fish today. And that is unfortunate. If there's uh, <clears throat> anything that I can say just to, to wrap this up and then I, I want to pray for everyone is hold on to the kingdom, right? The Lord has placed you places to bring the kingdom. Partnering looks different for everyone, right? You're not all going to look like me. You're not all going to look like Rafa or Gavin or the guys that stand up here. Some of you are going to look like teachers in schools and you're going to be impacting the next generation. My wife does that. Some of you are, are called to, to politics, 
It doesn't look like preaching. It looks like something completely different. But the Lord has you somewhere. And I want to encourage you, when he opens that door, he's going to keep you there. So when you face things that push back on you, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. All right. Before we pray, would you guys be up for worshiping with me for a second? Yeah. Don't leave me up here singing by myself. <laughs> you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my Take this life and breathe on. This heart that is now yours. You can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. So take this life and breathe on. This heart that is now yours. Come on. Thank you, Father. God, you can have it all. The things that we're holding on to that are part of our identity that we've clung to so closely, that we've used to replace you, that we've, we've used in the place of God, that we care so much about, Father, the things that if you came to us and you said, follow me, we'd hesitate. Father, we take those things and we lay them at your feet. We say, you can have it all. You can have the identity. You can have the dreams. You can have the desires of our hearts. Father, for, for those of us that are out there that are having a difficulty with finances right now. Father, I thank you that you put favor on their lives. Whether it's favor to find a new job, favor to have their businesses prosper, or if it's favor in the marketplace where they're already at. Lord, I thank you. We thank you for your goodness that's being seen in our lives. Father, we thank you that the goodness of God is what draws men to repentance. We thank you that it's seen in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.